Hello everybody, this is our fifth sermon looking at the book of Exodus. Today we're looking at the verses from verse 22 of chapter 5 through to verse 13 of chapter 7. And the title of this sermon is, The Lord is God and the Lord is good. We must listen. This week we had an excellent session with Andrew Bevan from International Justice Mission. It was great to hear how they are tackling slavery in the world today and we were challenged to play our part. Thinking about that meeting reminded me of an Irish missionary called Amy Carmichael. Long before anybody talked about human trafficking, Amy was rescuing children from prostitution in India's Hindu temples. Amy was an extraordinary single woman. She stood up to powerful temple priests and snatched countless children from their grasp. She established two homes in the city of Donover and started a hospital. Through all her work, she sought to combine rescue and health care with sharing the gospel. Amy arrived in India in 1894 and remained for 55 years. Her work was so demanding, she never returned home. In addition to her care for children, Amy became a prolific writer. In 1931, she had a bad fall that left her paralysed. From her chair, she set about writing 35 books, many of which are for devotional use and are known for being very honest about her personal struggles. What is somewhat unique about Amy's writing is that her books often take the form of a conversation with God. When Amy was a little girl, she used to spread out her sheets at bedtime and invite the Lord to come and sit down beside her. These intimate moments of prayer seem to deepen through her life. When Amy first applied to be a missionary, she was rejected on the grounds that she suffered with neuralgia. Then in 1893, she travelled to Japan but was forced to return due to ill health and her convalescence would last 15 months. Amy wrote about the agony of that time. She could not understand why God had called her to a life of missionary work, but would then keep blocking the path. But she kept returning to God in prayer again and again. She would pray and listen, pray and listen. And eventually the call came to go to India. And what a difference Amy made when she got there. Throughout Amy's writing, she urges us to do the same. When trouble comes, we must get into a routine of prayer. Some of that time should be spent listening, allowing God to draw alongside us, just as Amy did as a child. Here is just one quote from Amy's book, If. These are words Amy heard God speak to her that are so relevant to us today as we go through this pandemic. Trust me, my child, he says. Trust me with a humbler heart and a fuller abandon to my will than thou ever didst before. Trust me to pour my love through thee as minute succeeds to minute. As our reading began today, Moses has a moment very much like Amy Carmichael. He has heard God call him to go to Pharaoh and ask for the people of Israel to be allowed to leave Egypt. Unfortunately, though, it did not go very well. 
Pharaoh utterly rejected Moses' request, and to make matters worse, he decided to respond to it by going on the attack. He increased the workload of the slaves, making their lives even more miserable. Moses now finds himself in a terrible position. He had brought all his family from the safety of Midian to live in what is effectively a prison camp in Egypt. He has angered the cruel Pharaoh and even his own people have turned against him because they blame Moses for the increased pain of their slavery. It really could not get much worse for Moses. So what does Moses do? Well, he returns to the Lord who called him and rails against him in prayer. Verse 22. Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. This is not a polite, pretty, well-crafted prayer like we often hear in church. Moses is hurting and his words reflect that. His questions are blunt and indignant. They're full of impatience and accusation. It's the kind of prayer we would often be too frightened to release to God ourselves for fear of being irreverent. But here's the thing. This prayer is absolutely the right thing to do. Time and time again in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, we see that God wants us to run to him with our pain. In fact, in God's eyes, praying like this is a sign of our trust and faith. The faithless thing to do would have been to stay quiet or run away from God. And the proof of this comes in the fact that God immediately answers Moses. But notice this. God does not actually answer Moses' question. He never tells him why this difficult situation has been allowed to happen. He does not tell Moses what in his anger he wants to know. Instead, he tells Moses what he needs to know. And that is a different thing entirely. As Moses rails at God with all his pain and frustration, God simply tells him two things. I am the Lord and I am good. Still today, these are the two most important things we need to realise about the Lord. We do not know why this pandemic has been allowed to happen. We will never understand how any of our suffering exactly fits into God's purposes, but we know this. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. Let's have a look at these statements one at a time. First of all, the Lord is God. Four times in the opening words of God's reply to Moses at the beginning of chapter 6, he affirms, I am the Lord. Verse 2, I am the Lord. Verse 6, I am the Lord. Verse 7, I am the Lord your God. And again, verse 8, I am the Lord. He is reaffirming what he told Moses when he called him at the burning bush. Remember how God gave Moses his name, I am who I am. I am the holy God who burns like fire. I am the faithful God who keeps his promises to his people. I am the powerful God who will deal with Pharaoh with a mighty hand. I am the compassionate God who heard the cries of his people and cared deeply about them. This is who I am. This is who I will always be. 
No circumstances you come across, Moses, can change my character. I am the Lord your God, the maker of heaven and earth, and your friend whom you can call by name. I am on your side. You need to trust me. And the reason you can trust me, Moses, is because not only am I the one true God, but I am good. Very good. As God goes on in his response to Moses, he reminds him of his pledge to be personally involved with his people. God has heard their cry and come down to rescue them. In verses 6 to 8 of chapter 6, we get seven powerful statements from God of what he will do as he enacts his plan. Listen to them again. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will then take you as my own. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land I swore to give Abraham. I will give it to you as a possession. Do you hear that? I will. I will. I will. Moses is to be in no doubt. These are personal promises from the sovereign God who is in control. He will work for his people's good and nothing can stop him. No Pharaoh, no army, no work of evil or accidental misfortune. This rescue plan is guaranteed. But amongst this catalogue of wonderful statements from God, there is one word that shines out in particular. It comes in verse 6 when God says to Moses and his people, I will redeem you. What God means when he says that is he's going to do two things. First, he's going to rescue Israel from slavery, liberate them from their distress. He's going to bust them out of the captivity that they could not get themselves out from. And then once he has done that, he's going to go one step further. He's going to make Israel his own. That is the whole reason he is doing this, to bring Israel to himself. Redemption is such an important concept in the Bible, so we need to make sure we really understand it. In the Old Testament in particular, it is an image from the marketplace. In those days, if someone got themselves into debt, they would sell themselves into slavery to work it off. That was unless a family member could come along and pay the full amount that was owed. If that was the case, they would redeem their loved one. Knowing that this is the word picture being used, we learn two important things about God. First, he sees himself as our next of kin. Israel are his family. He has a deep personal concern for them. He is the one on whom the responsibility to redeem lies because there is no one closer to us than God is. That is an incredible thought, isn't it? Second, God loves his family so much he is prepared to pay the cost. The Lord is ready to pay whatever price is needed to bring his people home. And as he makes us his people, God takes our needs onto himself as his own. As we read the rest of the Bible, we discover that there are many costs ahead for God as he remains committed to his people. As he journeys on with Israel through the Exodus and out into the wilderness, God will have to put up with their constant moaning and complaining, their negativity and their sin. He will repeatedly have to take them by the hand and put things right. 
He'll have to provide food and water, defeat their enemies while they're melting in fear, and provide animals again and again so they can make the necessary sacrifices to atone for their sin. God will have to pay a huge price for many years to come. But ultimately, of course, by choosing to call this people to himself and pledge himself to them through thick and thin, God will eventually have to pay the biggest cost of all. He will have to send his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in their place and redeem them from sin and death once and for all. Now, Moses does not know any of that yet, but he is still to be left in no doubt. The Lord who called him at the burning bush is God above all others. And despite how things may seem at the present, the Lord is good and always will be. He will personally rescue his people. He will personally redeem them. He will personally pay the cost to bring his family home. So all this was revealed to Moses because when he was struggling, he turned to God in prayer. But as Amy Carmichael taught us, prayer contains another element to that of just speaking out our complaints and our wishes. True prayer requires us also to take time to listen, to listen to God and then obey what he has said. By verse 8 of chapter 6, Moses has been given all the information he needs. And by Moses relaying it on to them, suffering Israel have also been given the truths that they need to hold on to as well. But here is the thing about God. Even when he takes the time to speak to us very directly and deliberately, he still always allows us freedom of response. And because human beings often make bad decisions, this can lead to more unnecessary difficulty. In verse 9, Israel do not receive God's word well. They're so disheartened, so discouraged by their slavery and their suffering, they just do not listen. In fact, their response is so negative, it even spreads like a virus and infects Moses. In verse 12, as God calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh, Moses starts making excuses again. Now, you would have thought that all of Moses' excuses would have been dealt with in that long conversation in chapters 3 and 4. But no, here they come, welling up from Moses' anxious heart once more. Moses says, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now, considering that the Lord has just told Moses and Israel that he is God and he is good, the best news they could possibly hear Clearly, these responses to that information are not good ones. But in God's eyes, they are forgivable. Wonderfully, the Lord understands the suffering of his people and makes account for it. He understands the anxiety of Moses, which stems from the sheer size of the task ahead of him and the failures of his past. God understands that he is asking a lot of an 80-year-old man well past the vigour of youth. So yet again, God bears his people's needs in mind and continues to cooperate with their questions. Yet again, he chooses to work with them through their struggles. 
In verses 13 to 27 of chapter 6, the genealogical record of Israel is inserted to remind all involved that God has always worked with the faults and failures of this family. He's seen them through their doubts before and he will do so again. Then as chapter 7 begins, we see God bring into fruition his promise to Moses that he would provide his brother Aaron to speak up for him. When Moses was silenced by his anxiety and fear, God would see to it that Aaron would do what was necessary. In these verses, we really do see God working with frail human beings just like us. Even after telling them everything they need to know, he continues to coax and conjole them. He encourages them in their doubts and forgives them for their failure to listen and obey. By his grace, God gives them the time and space as well as the repeated instruction they need to grow in their faith. By doing so, we see why God allows us this freedom of response in the first place. Yes, the Lord is sovereign, but he doesn't want to force our affections. He wants us to choose to love him. And God knows that love relies on trust. So he'll give ample opportunity for trust to grow. This was the lesson Amy Carmichael learned and then wrote about. It is the journey of faith that we are all on. A journey only made possible by the patience and mercy of God. However, having said that, when the Lord announces that he is God and he is good, there is a form of negative response that eventually crosses the line. And that is hard-heartedness. And of course, now we're talking about Pharaoh. When Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh, they present to him the Lord and his good requests. But Pharaoh again refuses them. He hardens his heart. Throughout these early chapters of Exodus, we will read two things quite often. Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and God hardened Pharaoh's heart in response. The two things go hand in hand. Pharaoh repeatedly chooses to close himself off from God. He's too arrogant and too self-important to listen to who God is and his word for his life. Pharaoh will simply accept no rival to his power. And as these verses and chapters go on, we will see Pharaoh becoming increasingly set in his ways. Eventually, he becomes so committed to the genocide of the Jews that the whole situation becomes irretrievable. Pharaoh would lose too much face, be too embarrassed if he chose to turn back. But as Pharaoh hardens his heart to the point of no return, God is then forced to act. He must justly deal him the consequences of his bad attitude and behaviour. You see, as human beings, we are privileged. We can make our own choices. But we must realise that over time, those choices shape our character for good or ill. And it is our character that the Lord will judge in the end. C.S. Lewis put it this way. There are those who say to God, Thy will be done. And there are those to whom God says, All right then, have it your way. Pharaoh falls into that second category. Sadly, God is eventually forced to abandon him to his own stubbornness. Pharaoh resolves again and again to live his life his way. God resolves eventually, after many efforts to turn him round, to let him do so. 
And of course, the outcome is not good. Eventually, Pharaoh dies. Now, why do I finish the sermon in this way? It's because I believe that still today, the Lord keeps presenting us with the two things he reveals in this passage. The Lord is God and the Lord is good. God continues to speak this to human beings in answer to prayer, through the Bible, through missionaries and evangelists, through his church, throughout the earth. In a myriad of different ways, God gives us the opportunity to hear these words. I am God and I am good. I love you. I want to redeem you. Come to me. And every single human being has freedom in how they respond to that. Let us then make sure we've not hardened our heart or stopped listening. Yes, at times in our suffering we will doubt and have questions. That's okay. God will work with them just as he did with Moses and Israel. But we must not flat out reject him like Pharaoh did. In his crisis, God acknowledged Moses and answered his prayers. In their slavery, God acknowledged Israel's cries and redeemed them. In our own difficulties today, God sees us and acknowledges our needs. What he wants in response is for us to acknowledge him. So to conclude, if you are suffering today, tomorrow, or at any other point in your life, return to God in prayer. Cry out, ask questions, lament like Amy Carmichael did. Strange as it may seem, this is the faithful thing to do. But as the Lord draws near and reveals that he is God, as he finds ways to remind us again of his goodness, we must make sure we listen and obey his commands.